Supporting middle leaders in schools. Guiding the senior leadership of tomorrow. And developing your successful career in education. This is Edgecast from NAHT Edge. Influential and instrumental in the way Ofsted communicates its messages in the social media age. That's Sean Harford, an HMI and Ofsted's National Director. Sean is our guest on this month's podcast, and it's from Sean that you'll hear about the thinking behind the myth-busting document. Where did the myths come from in the first place? And is it possible for a school to have a no-written marking policy and still do well in an Ofsted inspection? Compulsive listening from Sean before too long. There's also the regular top tip. And this month it's on improving the quality and standards in the early years. Course leader Louise Murphy says, Do as much as possible to support effective transition into school. Always have plans in place to further improve the experience for children and their families and know what's expected of children at Key Stage 1 so you can make sure your children are fully prepared for the learning that they will meet. Every month, a new tip to further your career. Submit yours to events at nahtedge.org.uk. The news looks at how the DfE says they're willing to listen to you about flexible working, details about the new type of inspection for SEND, and what our director James has to say when it comes to mental health provision. There's also a chance to discover more about the next course we're laying on and really invest in your career. Time to get into the first part of our two-part conversation with Ofsted's Sean Harford. The first question I put to Sean was about the myth-busting document produced by Ofsted. What was the reasoning behind this? The MythBuster followed um, extensive and productive consultation with all um, teacher associations and head teacher associations and the DfE. And the idea really was to clear up some things where uh, teachers and also head teachers had said to us and also their associations um, that they had an idea of things that were that officer were expecting, um, and uh, that maybe those things weren't things that when inspectors went into schools they were looking at, and. It it was just a good opportunity to clear up those myths, really. Why do you feel some of these myths grew over time within schools then? Well, I think the grapevine is a big thing in, in education. I think that um, obviously schools read other schools' inspection reports and they see things that sometimes are perfectly relevant to an individual school and the, and the individual circumstance of that school. Um, but then uh, they may not be relevant to other schools, but people think, well, they got a good Ofsted report, actually, why don't we do that? Um, and then obviously things build up from there and it becomes that that seems to be accepted practice, but also practice that Ofsted want to see. Um, so it was really important that we made sure that that was clear that wasn't necessarily what we wanted um, but also I think we know that some inspectors have gone out to schools and said you know oh, I've asked for things in the past um, maybe data cut in a certain way and maybe they've asked about things in a way that suggested they wanted to see certain things rather than a way that said well what are you doing in this area so you know and we listened to the unions about this and understood that position um, and the other thing is sometimes that recommendations for schools were written in a way that would suggest that a school should do things in a certain way that may lead to unnecessary workload, which we really don't want um, for teachers. So it was a good opportunity, as I say, to clear up those things and make sure everyone was, uh, had, the, had the right idea for what inspectors are looking at when they're going to school. Now, one of the biggest myths Ofsted has sought to tackle is linked to expectations around marking. Can you give us a, a brief overview about this? Can you talk to us about this, Sean? Yeah, I mean, 
of course, you know, we've been really clear now that we don't expect any particular type of marking. We don't expect any frequency of marking or any volume of marking. So, um, and, and, and I think we've made that really clear in the in the MythBuster, but also in our handbook as as well. Um, I think that this came up because, again, in in some reports um, where schools were doing things, that there was evidence that it was working in the particular school they were in. Uh, the inspectors went to that it actually. Um, the school you know, were, was proud of the work they were doing, they showcased it to the inspector, the inspector checked it out, they saw that it was leading to progress um, and it was working in that particular setting. Then the inspector wrote about it and then, and then it goes on from there. I go back to the fact that you know, schools are unique places and therefore something that works in one place might not necessarily work in another. Uh, and I think this is where the ball started rolling on the, on the, on the marking. But you know, as I say, to summarise on that, I, st I think we've been really clear on that and we're not expecting to see any particular type of marking now when we go out and inspect. What would you say to schools and leaders, therefore, who remain nervous that inspectors will still expect to see regular written feedback in people's books? Well, you know, we've, as I say, we've been really clear about feedback. It can be oral, it can be written. Um, it's up to the school to decide. What we're looking at now is whether the policy that the school has decided is right for its um, pupils and the teaching to make sure that the, the, the teachers are applying that policy across the school. And so as long as the school is clear what it itself is expecting and the senior leaders are expecting of the, of the staff in the school and people are doing that, then that's, that's fine by us. Um, you know, so we won't be looking for anything, but we will be looking at what's going on to make sure that that, um, that, that policy is being, is being followed and that it's having an impact. Would you say it's conceivable that a school could have a no written marking policy and still do well in Ofsted inspection? Absolutely. This, this is about assessment at the base of things. It's about schools being able to know what their pupils know about, what they understand, what they can do, and whether they're building upon that and making progress over time, and that the school, the teachers, are making sure the students and the pupils know what to do to go on to the next stage. And that could be through the dis through discussions in class, it could be sitting down with pupils, talking through the work. It could be through a written and um, format. It's entirely up to the school. It's about impact. So it's entirely possible that if a school said, "Well, we just don't write down marking," and I know of a school actually that does this, um, and it's a very successful school. So um, you know, w schools need to have the confidence that what they're doing is having an impact, and not worry that an inspector is going to come and criticise that. So long as they've got the you know they can show that, that impact is is, is positive. So if a school was given feedback uh, as an area for development in an old report and they feel it conflicts somehow with the more recent myth-busting document, how should they approach this? Well, it's very much dependent on the, the background of why that was brought up, uh, whatever the issue was, was brought up as an area for improvement anyway. As I say, schools are unique places, and I'm sure that when the inspector went into the, to the school and saw the evidence that the school um, of how the school was um, providing its um, quality of education after discussions with senior leaders and with teachers that was why the inspector came to the to the decision about that this was a recommendation so I'm pretty confident that it will still be relevant to the school and the school will have worked on it so it would be unusual if a school could just ignore it but clearly, if, um, if they have a way of implementing and improving that area in whatever way the school that they thought best to do it, then that's what they should do, because the recommendation will have been around um, the area that is improving rather than the way that you should do it to make that improvement. 
The document also makes it clear that teachers aren't expected to provide planning in a certain format. Are inspectors still likely to want some form of planning from schools? What inspectors are looking at in terms of planning is that lessons are planned, but not that they have lesson plans, if that makes sense. So it's not about the format of the document or the the piece of paper that the the teacher plans the lessons on. Um, We won't have a view on that. What we'll have a view on is whether when we go into lessons and see teaching going on and see learning going on, that it's clearly part of a a planned programme of of, of work for the the pupils. Mm -hmm. That, you know, the resourcing is good and it's it's helpful to the pupils, that um, they may be using textbooks in the right kind of way, that um, it leads on from prior work and it pushes the pupils forward so it's more as I say about the the way that that there are planned lessons rather than lesson plans. Now schools are no longer using national curriculum levels could you explain to us how inspectors are judging progress within schools? Yeah this is really important actually because Lots of people talk about assessment and and levels and what have you, or points or various different types of information. But at the root of this is the school's curriculum. So what schools need to be able to do is explain how they develop the curriculum for the pupils. If they know and and can, can articulate how they've done that, they should then, the next stage is to say, so how do we then know whether the pupils have learned what they should learn within that curriculum? And so schools need to be able to identify the big milestones towards those big ideas in the curriculum that they want the children um, and the pupils to, le- to learn about. So then once you've got your milestones in place, it's then about how do you know the children are, are meeting those milestones towards uh, are making progress towards the goals for those pupils. So as long as schools can explain how they know that, how they've set that process about across the school for the pupils, as long as they can then say, and so we know that children are meeting those goals as we go along, as they go along, and um, and they can uh, crucially they can show how they use that information to promote achievement for the pupils. Then, in whatever way it's it's um, put in front of inspectors, um, whether it's from point scores or test scores or comments or whatever it is, as long as the school is using that effectively to promote achievement, then we're fine by that. Connect with our tweets at NAHT Edge. In part two of my interview with Sean, we discuss special schools and how inspectors make judgments in that kind of environment. Before we get back to that and hear about the NAHT and NAHT Edge course of choice, let's catch up with the news. The news and information from NAHT Edge. In this bulletin, a new form of inspection for SEND. Flexible working, the DFE is all ears, and the gap in mental health provision, a view from NAHT and NAHT Edge. A new type of inspection has just emerged when it comes to provision for children and young people with special educational needs or disabilities. Ofsted and the Care Quality Commission, the CQC, now assess how effective local areas are in delivering their SEND obligations. Concerns over added bureaucracy and reporting have been allayed by the HMI National Lead, who has indicated that school leaders and SENCOs won't be required to produce any additional evidence if they're selected to be visited as part of these inspections. Professor Steve Field, Chief Inspector of General Practice at the CQC, said... Young people and children with special educational needs or disabilities can face a complex system comprising many different health and educational agencies. It's important we examine how well these different partners work together to meet the care needs of this often vulnerable group. 
For more information, visit the CQC's website. Next, and the DFE wants to hear from you in its support of flexible working in schools. The plea is aimed at schools already active in their support of this type of working, particularly part-time working or fitting in around childcare responsibilities. Best practice examples are likely to be published around the start of the next academic year. However, the DFE would still like you to get in touch even if your school isn't currently running such a scheme. This is to ascertain what other information you or the school would find helpful when considering whether to implement such opportunities for staff members. You can read more about the DFE's call on NAH edge.org.uk slash news and views. Finally, we have news from a recent speech by NAHT Edge director James Bowen on the issue of mental health provision in schools. James welcomed the extra one and a quarter billion pounds over the course of this parliament to support children's mental health. But he also highlighted the importance of a well-rounded curriculum that includes PSHE and asserted that NAHT is calling for there to be protected curriculum time for this subject in every school. Our director said, For some children, this universal promotion of emotional well-being isn't enough, and there are times when pupils will need a greater level of support or intervention. We need to recognise that teachers and school staff are not mental health specialists. James went on to speak of the opportunity that exists for workers from a number of related sectors to collaborate and put in place that extra layer of support. An advocate of early intervention, his speech also pinpointed the need for proper and appropriate levels of funding. For James's full speech, visit nahtedge.org.uk slash news and views. With all the Edgecast news, I'm John Peters. Now is the perfect time to book on to our latest course, Improving Quality and Standards in the Early Years. With a choice of two dates, Louise Murphy leads the course in London and Birmingham. She'll offer valuable insight into best practice and how to leverage this key aspect of leadership and management. Quality and standards in the early years are now explicitly reported in Section 5 inspection reports, so this is an unmissable course. For more on the pre-course prep and the choice of dates, go to nahtedge.org.uk. Develop your career with NAHT Edge. Expert advice and the sharing of ideas. Edgecast. Remember, our tweets can be followed at NAHT Edge. Plenty of great conversation going on there of benefit to aspirational leaders. Plus, of course, our website is packed full of tailored support and services for middle leaders with online advice and resources all backed up by full trade union protection. The site is at nahtedge.org.uk. Also, it's good to bear in mind this podcast is available within iTunes. Click subscribe and each month the new episode will download automatically. Let's now return to Sean Harford, HMI and National Director for Ofsted, as talk turns to special schools. How do inspectors make judgments relating to pupil progress in these settings? With children in special schools, it, this is all about the individuals um, because you know the, the range of, um, of, of special needs of children um, can, is, is vast and it all depends about the individual needs of those children. So the, at the root of this, the school needs to be working on the fact that it understands what those children's needs are, understands their starting points, and, under- and then as soon as you've assessed those and you're in the right place on those, all those other um, things that I just discussed about in terms of the curriculum apply. Now clearly some 
children with special needs will make slower progress through that curriculum um, that the school has set up for, for them um, for, for very good reason. Other children with, with special needs will make um, faster progress through. They just The schools just need to be aware of all those um, nuances and that they can um, uh, do exactly the same thing as they would do for uh, children who don't have um, special education needs or, or disabilities. Um, but clearly it's about the individuals and, the, and, and what they can do and what's expected of them by the school through that, through that curriculum. Do you feel now there's less reliance on data that the inspection process has become more subjective than in the past? Well, that's a good loaded question, isn't it? <laughs> I don't blame you, Sean. <laughs> um, well, I don't think it's subjective in that that makes it less objective. Mm. But equally, um, you know, da- data has only ever been... Uh, the phrase I've always used is that data is a signpost for inspection and not a destination. So the, the signpost is still there. We still use data. Clearly, a published data is available to schools before inspection. And therefore, the inspector can get some idea of what's happened in this school in the past. But the, the key factor is what's happening in the school now. So if things have moved on very quickly and the school can articulate how and why that's happened um, and that children are making uh, much better progress now than they were, then that may well override what's gone in, what's, what's set out in the, in, or what appears to be the case in the, in the published data. Clearly, uh, inspection and schools themselves will use data but it's about using it in the right way. It's about asking questions rather than giving necessarily the answers um, and promoting those questions. And, um, and that helps the process of inspection, but it isn't the be all and end all. With schools using lots of different systems to, to measure and track pupil progress, is there a danger this lack of comparability makes it harder for inspectors to judge progress? This goes back to my point about the curriculum and how schools have developed their curriculum and then key how they've developed their their underlying systems of assessment. As long as the school can articulate that, clearly explain how they use it, clearly explain how they, they use that information to promote achievement, there's n- there's no problem. I mean, clearly we have at the end of key stage outcomes that we can um, benchmark against anyway, but it's really um, key that schools know Uh, why they're doing the things they're doing, why they're using the assessment methods they use and critically how they use that information to to promote achievement and then inspectors can look at that and make their judgments based around that. There have been concerns, Sean, raised by some that the lack of comparable in-school data could lead to an over-reliance on end-of-key-stage data to make judgments about school performance. Do you feel that's fair? Well, you know, I think this goes back, it's almost the same question again, really. Schools need to know um, how they're going to um, assess the progress of the children through their, through their curriculum. Of course, the end um, point for when, school, when children move on to the next school inevitably will be the end of key stage data. So in primary schools, you know, the end of key stage two, um, and that will give them a benchmark of how those children did. It also will help them to assess um, and, and measure up their own uh, or assess their own assessment system to say in you know, going forward oh well did those children get there in the end um, uh, you know to, to that end of key stage test but tests give one idea one indication of how effective a school is but it's only one we have a number of schools and I always say this you know we have currently in this country 87% of primary schools are good or better if everything was based on end of key stage data 
you'd expect maybe 60% of schools, you know, those around the, the average to be, to, to be good or better. There's another 20 odd percentage points of schools that are, that are good or better. There are other things coming into play here quality of teaching, leadership management, and, and things like that. So end of key stage data gives an idea, but it isn't the be-all and end-all again. Now, many teachers and leaders are worried about the potential dip in results because of the more demanding nature of the end of key stage assessments and the impact this could have on the outcome of an inspection. Can you put forward any reassurance to them on that? Well, you know, as referenced in um, Nick Gibbs' letter um, to Russell, actually, on the 18th of February, the minister uh, was, was, was clearly setting out that this, um, this year, in many respects, is a transitional year that the, he, he recognised that there have been um, uh, some issues embedding down the new system um, and, and as I say he recognised that and at the same time we wrote out to inspectors as well to say you know when we come to these tests uh, there are these transitional issues that need to be considered and therefore our judgments will always as they always have been done um, will be taken in the round so yes of course data plays a part but we look at the things in the broad context of that and clearly you know if the tests are so much harder that all schools um, go down our system is based around what the average is anyway and that whether uh, how um, how schools line up or are better than that average and what have you as part of the at least in terms of the published um, data so Schools should not be concerned. You know, let's face it, a school judged in June before the, or in May before the test uh, is no better or worse than it will be in a few months' time in September when they get those results back. Our inspectors are very cognizant of that and they'll take it, as I say, um, in the round and consider all those things we do that are set out in the, in the inspection handbook when they come to those judgments. And finally, if a school feels an inspector isn't working within the, the spirit of the myth-busting document during that inspection, what would your advice be to them bearing that in mind? Yeah, well, I mean, I've always thought about inspection as being the, the, the relationship between the inspectors and the school is absolutely crucial. Um, and clearly, if there are issues that the school um, thinks that the inspection is being carried out in a way that they would expect it to be, that fits our code of conduct um, and as set out in the inspection handbook, then I would always want the school to talk to the inspectors while they're on the site, talk to the lead inspector and get those things ironed out. And 99% of the time, that is the case. However, if they can't, if it can't be um, ironed out while the while the inspectors are on the site, then we have a um, you know a clearly um, set out published uh, complaints process, um, and um, that that should be used by the school to set out those those issues because you know the the MythBuster is part of the school inspection handbook. We expect the the school inspection handbook to guide the work of inspectors, especially around conduct and those things we've clearly pulled out in in the MythBuster itself. So, you know, it's absolutely right that a school should inspect those things to be to be adhered to. But as I say, this is all about relationships. Um, you know, and we need people to talk to each other to get things sorted out before the inspectors leave, ideally, so that you know, all this um, information, evidence, and um, the discussions can be brought, um, considered in the round, and used for the overall judgment. Thanks to Sean for his full and frank insight. His personal Twitter account is at HarfordSean, an account that's always full of lively interaction around schools and education. You can book onto the course mentioned earlier in Edgecast by going to nahtedge.org.uk and we'll be back next month with more invigorating torrents of thought. Have a great month.